From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, the U.S. lost a crucial match against Costa Rica Friday, and its World Cup qualification hopes are looking shaky. We break down the game and the issues that plague the U.S. MLS action continues even during international break. We look at major storylines in the league. Finally, we answer your questions. Our mailbag is open for the first time, and your questions are up for debate. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Hello and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Jodder and joining me is the one and only Armonica Fi. How's it going, buddy? It's going good. How are you? All moved in? Yeah, all moved in. I just moved in to Madison, to Madison Wisconsin, attending uh, UW. Go, uh, go Badgers, as if I really care for college football. Because we got such <laughs> a packed show. U.S. men's national team had a fantastic... Fantastic game for us to talk about. <laughs> yeah, to uh, talk about. To talk about. Not necessarily not the result or the the product on the field was what we wanted to ha- have happen because we were both wrong in our predictions. Uh, really, really wrong. Uh, let's be fair. But, yeah, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about the Honduras game later on the show, MLS, and our mailbag. So we're super excited. Uh, follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Steven Jodderand. And you can follow at Armonica K A F A I Sport. Come See, on, I, get it right. I, I get should, it right. I should, you know, really start to rem- uh, memorize it. Like, remember your co-host's last name? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a. No, but I forget analyst. your Twitter handle because it's K A F A I Sport. Whatever, man. Let's get let's get All to right. the juicy stuff. U.S. Men's National Team, and let, let's just begin with our our initial thoughts uh, of the game, and then we'll we'll dissect uh, as we go, but. Man, uh, I'll let you. You know, I'll let you start. What was your impression of the game? I was disappointed, to be honest. 
Um, I thought Arena got the tactics wrong. I thought the defense played absolutely terrible. Um, I thought that the Costa Rican team was undermined by the media. I thought they were undermined by the United States team themselves. And like I said in the uh, preview, I, this team is second in, either second or third best team in CONCAP. They're really good. No, well, and well, I said they were second best. Second best. Okay. By standings. I didn't necessarily think they were second best, but Friday changed my mind completely. And yeah, they, in Costa Rica, give them credit. They played masterfully, I think, to say at least. And I think it was, it was a fantastic game for the Costa Ricans. Um, I, I love that. I love their formation. That's so fluid. It looks it looks like a three back line, but as soon as they start leading, it goes to five back lines. Really fluid. It switches almost offensively. You're gonna have three defensive and five back lines. Really interesting to see. Really cool to watch. Um, I think they were they were great, and they proved that they're a contender and a second best team in Concacaf easily. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I was definitely disappointed, but you know. To to me is U.S. soccer is being Swiss. It's like Switzerland. It's just a little bit above U.S. soccer. So I might have a little more of objective bone in my body when it comes to covering the national team. I'm sure you are the same way. We we come from different backgrounds, therefore we look at the national team a little differently. But what I what I saw Friday night was a U.S. men's national team that has not changed in 15 years. Oh, we're going back to this again. <laughs> No, it, it, to me, yeah. it's still the same team. Ten, 15 <laughs> years ago, I'm not going to name you any of the players, but the results are still the same. They're still going to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, it was disappointing. Christian Pulisic was more on his back than actually taking on defenders. I mean, he was right. hacked. I think he was, right. he was the uh, the highest player on the field that was, that was fouled by Costa Rica. So Absolutely. But it, at, the, at the end of the game, that, that's my initial thought. And yes, uh, I think the media did, uh, you know, undersell Costa Rica. I think we tried to talk about Costa Rica, but the game was more about the United States. Costa Rica, Costa Rica had nothing to play for because whatever result was that they got, it didn't matter in anybody's eyes. The fact that they won is huge. They they walked in there. They could have lost two zero, and it wouldn't have made a difference to their World Cup qualification. Absolutely, you're totally right about that. Uh, it so, was crucial for the United States. Yeah, absolutely crucial. So the game, uh, you know, Marcos Urena scored in the 30th minute and the 82nd were uh, Tim Ream and Jeff Cameron were miles apart on the first goal. I mean, uh, almost touching the opposite end lines, Urena had, was was able to walk right through on goal. Timmy Howard looked old. Did, did he not look old to you for the first time? Mm. No, he, he he did. You 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 saw his age uh, catch up to him, and um, it, it the, especially on the on that uh, once that first goal. Yeah, it was it was his mistakes. Absolutely, possession was in favor of the United States, sixty-one to thirty-nine. But Costa Rica did what they always do: is sit back, and when they went forward, they when they pushed forward is when everybody had a job. Just as we talked about how Bruce Arena and his men all had a job, this game, everybody looked lost. Oh, I agree. They, they, they really did. It was, it, was a, uh, it was a performance to where a lot of players didn't show up. Fabian Johnson was invisible out there. 
there was I I rarely I I didn't see much from him. I mean, so many of these players just were just it was just it was just a mess. I mean, I just I I don't know. I mean, you saw Arena do a great job tactically with that three four three against Mexico and playing that brilliantly as Teca, and then he comes back at home against Costa Rica and completely botches it. Well, he botches it, but he placed Jeff Cameron and Tim Ream, who have never, ever played together. In such a crucial World Cup qualifier. What the hell is Bruce Arena thinking? Okay? Uh, I And then, you, to me, I don't understand why he put Pulisic on the wing. That, that to me, was another massive mistake. That, that the United States and Bruce Arena and his coaching staff established. And then you could talk about, I mean, we can talk about how everything went wrong for the United States. But, Amran, I mean, the U.S. men's national team was riding a 14-game unbeaten streak headed into Friday's game. It's the second longest in uh, U.S.'s streak. Um, actually, the first one was achieved during Bruce Arena in 2004 and 2005 where he went 11-0-5. So it's, it's you know Bruce Arena's good at establishing these long term uh, win streaks, but didn't you feel like it was inevitable where the United States was going to perform poorly and maybe lose some point down the road? I mean, if you look back to their game against Trinidad, they were shaky too. Um, I remember. I mean, it, they they look so they didn't look like a dominating team in Concacaf. They look like. They genuinely struggle against Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and you go back and you saw why this team struggled. I mean, they got smacked by Costa Rica uh, when Klinsman was uh, in charge, 4-0 on the road. I mean, not much has really changed. I mean, ma- manager has changed, but, I mean, the players haven't changed or anything like that. I mean, I saw. I feel like I saw it coming. Uh, I mean, we can all say that in hindsight. Oh, yeah, I totally saw it coming. I mean, you predicted a win, Armand. You didn't see that coming. But it was just it was a shaky performance. And it was it's something that I'm not surprised that I saw, especially under Arena, because he he isn't the most innovative guy. I think you know that. Oh, no, no, no. He is the most mundane human being when it comes to the soccer field. 4-4-2. Four, four, I mean, how much more mundane can you get than a 4-4-2? Four, four, Against a three back line, you're gonna have two forwards, so one of them's not gonna be occupied, and it's 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 just I didn't understand. I mean, we expected the four four two. I know we both did. Yes, we, we and we both wanted did. a three five. We wanted a three back line. I feel like a three back line would have worked out so much better than the than the four back line. I think he just. I think Arena got it wrong. Pardon me, Arena got it wrong. He. Uh, I don't like Nagby in the middle. I okay. think that was something that was interesting. Yes. The, okay, good stepping off point. Let's talk about this lineup. Howard was in goal. Was that the right decision? Yes. Who is the best goalkeeper the United States currently have? Tim Howard. Timmy Howard. All right. Then you have Zussi on uh, on the – was it right side? Tim Ring yeah. and Jeff, Jeff Cameron and Villafania. Yeah. Zussi and Villafania. Yeah. Team leading 12th appearance in 2017. So the most experienced men of this year started on the as playing as left and right back, but the two middle guys have never played with each other. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was mind boggling. I thought they'd do Jeff Cameron, Matt Beasler. If anything, I didn't think Tim Ream would get the start. Uh, I mean, 
Omar Gonzalez probably isn't healthy then if he's not starting because I think he's better than Tim Ream. Um, it's just d- defensively, in my opinion, Zussi was going to have to play there. I'm going to be honest. Zussi had to play there. Uh, the U.S. has no one else at right back, which shows how pretty terrible they are without Yedlin. Well, yeah, the um, question is, would does Yedlin's injury mean more? Well, I mean, yeah, Zussi's a mediocre player. I am playing it simple. But I think he's, he's a medi- two-way player. We talked about it with Jeff. He's a two-way player. Yeah, but I mean, at the at the same time, like, like I said, I don't like I don't, I don't like him. I I don't think he is the best option at right back. How he old is he? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I want to say he's in his thirties. Um, thirty-one. He's not even 31. old. And he's just he's just he's sluggish and whatnot. And Villafania. I mean, I really like Villafania. I wrote about I wrote an article about him. I I, I really like him. Shameless he came plug. up. He came. <laughs> He came up from a, a, a show, a tryout show called Sueno MLS, made it to Chivas USA Academy, then made his way up. So he's he's a hard worker. He works hard. Just I don't, He just didn't play that well. The, the fullbacks didn't play well. The whole defense played really bad, to yeah. be honest. No, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think Tim Bream and Jeff Cameron uh, were were the biggest, two biggest uh, outliers. Yeah, duds. I, you could blame Howard on the goals, but the first goal, ha- Cameron on one side and Timmering on the other. I mean, it was they like were the Red Sea, man. Apart. They was, split the Red Sea. They they absolutely did. I saw one meme saying that MLS is closer to promotion relegation than Timmering and Jeff Cameron <laughs> were to each other on that goal. I mean, it's mind-boggling that Bruce Arena. Why didn't he play Omar Gonzalez? Could somebody explain to me why he started those two players? And I feel bad for Timmy because if I rem- if I remember correctly, he played one game for the national team and then hadn't played for three years following that game. And here's his opportunity, and boy, does he get put in a terrible situation against Costa Rica where they're going to play off the counter and it's going to be quick and direct. I mean, it was a disaster for Timmy. Yeah, it was disaster with Tim Ream. He played in Azteca and he played really well in that game. But I mean, with Cameron, man, Cameron, what an absolutely terrible performance! Especially from somebody the, that you know, you, you really think he's the like, leader, the, the, the yeah. player from Stoke City, and he's like one of the main players on Stoke City. <laughs> you know, he starts regularly, and he couldn't play a ball out of the back. Just looking all over the place, I, I was like, "Is this Jeff Cameron or is this like somebody else?" It was he was probably one of the he was probably the worst player on the pitch, to you be honest. So? Yeah, well, let, let's get to the midfield where you had Bradley Nagby in the middle, Johnson on one flank, and then Pulisic on the other. What 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 did what do you make of of that that middle four? My first reaction was, "All right, you're leaving Bradley completely by himself. This might be really interesting." Uh, my second reaction was. You have Nagby centrally and you have Pulisic out wide. But I feel as if Nagby is more effective on the wings with his one-on-one play and Pulisic is more effective in the middle because he's more of a playmaker in that middle spot. I mean, we've seen him deployed in that middle spot multiple times. I mean, a lot of people say he is an outside mid. I don't agree with that. I think he is a – I think for the national team at least, he's more of a central player. He provides more of a threat. I think number Nagby, 10. Him and Nagby switch. He is a number 10. <laughs> And I mean, 
Bra- I don't blame Bradley for anything. I don't think I think Nagby, even though he's put in an interesting position, I think he played. I think he played relatively well. Fabian Johnson was invisible, um, and Pulisic was. Uh, he 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 got knocked around a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Nagby plays well as a number ten in the middle. Uh, Johnson was invisible, and he that's his natural more of his natural position playing on the wing. I don't understand why Pulisic was out there. It would have made a lot more sense to play a five midfield where you had Nagby and Pulisic to play off each other to have two quote unquote number tens because Nagby has that creative role. If you remember correctly, a year ago during the Copa America, everybody was talking about how Nagby and Pulisic were these number tens, right? And I think Pulisic is a lot better of a number 10. But my biggest concern was how often do we see Bradley have to retreat behind the defensive line to get the ball? He was almost a third center back having to get the ball. And then when he did make balls, you would often see 30, 40 yards of space right there in the middle where nobody was being occupied. The U.S. would play all have to be stuck in the corner because they couldn't switch play. And there was no midfielder to do that. I think Bruce Arena absolutely made a disaster. The defense was bad, but I think the midfield was even worse because there were holes everywhere. It was, uh, I think the issue was Bradley didn't have that guy to, you know. <clears throat> Kellen Acosta? Yeah, I was going to say that exactly. That That guy who... Who allows Bradley to focus on the on the defensive uh, side of the ball and whatnot, and makes him a better player. Wouldn't um, it? Wouldn't it have made more sense to start Kellen Acosta next to Michael Bradley after they played during the Gold Cup, coming off being fresh, where they understand somewhat of that partnership? They have experience playing with each other. Yeah, I, I mean that's what I thought. I thought I thought Acosta, or at least someone to partner with Bradley. To where he wouldn't be expo- naked, basically by himself. Um, that was a recipe for disaster, right there. I mean, I, I, I didn't get it. I thought, I thought the four four two diamond was a, was a dumb decision. I think, I think it was just it affected too- Bradley negatively. Oh, it. And the thing is, Bradley played a fine game. You can't criticize Bradley for how he played. It was just that the role he was put in was just, it was bad because he was just he's naked, Bradley. We've seen the national team. Bradley needs one of those guys to, you know, pr- provide him like a Kellen Acosta, kind of like Acosta being a connector, which it makes Bradley a better player. It's it's it, it's all about unlocking your captain's true potential. I mean, that night no, it I didn't agree. help him out at all. No, I I definitely agree, Amon, and you, and you're hitting it right on the nail that Bradley looked naked because how we saw him have to do a lot of the things that he's good at doing, but he didn't get the help that he needed to be successful to really deliver the United States. Right. Pulisic on the wing, yeah, he had moments early on in the game where he would, you know, the crowd. I mean, what was amazing is the crowd. It's like almost when Messi touches the ball where the crowd's like, oh, 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 you know, freaking out. Like, what could possibly <laughs> happen? That Pulisic is getting that that same little, uh, you want to call it momentum with, the, with the, the crowd here in the United States, with the fan base, with the popularity only growing. We don't see him regularly. He's not in the MLS. He's in the Bundesliga. We don't get to see him live. Seeing him live is a whole different story. So you get that sense. But in the second half, there was nothing. He had to get subbed off. Yeah, it was. He got hacked was, and hacked and hacked. And Costa Rica brilliantly made the decision to foul the United States before they can get forward. 
Yeah, and that's that's how you need to play. And the United States is getting frustrated. And that's exactly what they wanted. Exactly what they wanted. It was great. I think Costa Rica give them credit. They played a fantastic yeah, game. Yeah, I tactically. mean, give Costa Rica credit. Give give them the and Kaylor Navas. I think was man of the match. Massive two massive saves. Brilliant saves. Brilliant saves. The reason why he plays at Real Madrid was shown Friday night. Exactly. exactly. Uh, we did. We did miss the front two, outdoor and wood. I don't know. Brief thirty seconds on 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 you know their play. I mean, they played. Eh, well, I mean, it's kind of hard. They it was. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's hard to judge them because the midfield. I mean, when they did get forward, the midfield did provide them opportunities. Their link up play was was sloppy. It wasn't the the biggest criticism of this national team, but it was sloppy. Yeah, it, 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 I, I think it's it's not that big of an issue compared to the other two that we mentioned. Uh, some some stats for you: the United States has lost two home qualifiers in the same World Cup cycle for the second time. The other time was before the nineteen fifty eight World Cup. Uh, one home loss in fifty World Cup qualifiers since nineteen ninety, and the other. Only other hex in which the United States men's national team has lost three times was in two thousand and two. Wow, so it's it's bad, and this is this is the most damning stat for the men's national team. They have one win in now thirty eight games when they're trailing at halftime. Last win was in, the only win was in October of twenty thirteen. Yeah, that's that's uh that's not good. Damning. Absolutely damning. So um, we kind of recapped the game, but what do you think specifically was the reason why they were unsuccessful in even getting a result or scoring or something? My opinion is um, I think a lot of the blame has to go on Bruce. If we're going to blame uh, Jurgen Klinsmann and fire him after a 4-0 thumping, I think we need to criticize Bruce Arena for what he did. Um it was it was tactically. I just I was just mind blown that they're running a four four two a traditional four four two against a three. What was it like a three like one like a three four one two or something like that? Or okay. three five two or one one something like that? Yeah, something it was something like that, which converts to five four one. You're not gonna beat a team like Costa Rica who packs it in with traditional four four two. Um, I just I, I thought he got it wrong. We talked about the roles. The roles, I feel like, were were wrong. Um, uh, yeah, Bruce Arena and everybody yeah. talks about his lovely roles. Awful. Yeah, that that game was it was it was, it was terrible. I mean, we have to criticize Bruce Arena. I think the players were kind of set up for failure because I mean, as you could tell, like you were mentioning, there's two center backs would split, and Bradley would go into that space, that open space. Was that part of the plan? No. <laughs> is that for the plan? Like, what the hell? Yeah, you know, I have to say, I think the Bruce Arena deserves a lot of the blame, but I think it was the the mentality in which the United States marched into Red Bull Arena, thinking they were undermining them, undermining Costa Rica. Not even that. It was just I was listening to the pregame coverage, or somebody talk about how Michael Bradley, or one of the players, was talk uh, was talking about how. They were so excited 
to play with the national team. Everything's super cool. Everything's awesome at this. We're all buddy buddies. Uh, the confidence is high. The morale is great. Blah, blah, blah. And then in come Costa Rica and whoosh, out the door. They go with the three points. The United States set a zero. Yes. So I think that. And is Bruce Arena under the hot seat now? I absolutely think he deserves to be. I think that performance was so damning to him as a coach. Starting a four four two, having Tim Ream, Jeff Cameron be that wide on the goal like that. But where the partnership isn't close. Pull a sick on the wing. Michael Bradley having to do all this work. And then not pulling in Clint Dempsey earlier on as a substitute. Well, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, the, the outlaws had to start calling for Clint Dempsey, and then he came on. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I you think, don't? Well, because if they don't qualify, he's gone. Let's be honest here. Um, they're not going to fire a head coach and, and with four games left in qualification, three games left in qualification. They're not going to do that. That would be no ballsy. That would be stupid. Um, now, if we're going to talk about his subs, I mean, I thought his substitutions were way too little, way too late. They were uh, meaningless subs. They were meaningless, exactly. I thought Dempsey, um, Dempsey should have came on earlier. I mean, it was obvious something was missing. And, um, I just, I don't know. I thought Arena deserves a lot of brain, brain, blame. I gave him so much credit for that uh, win at Azteca being brilliant tactically. So I'm going to give him as much not credit, I guess, discredit for Blame. how the team played. Blame. Blame. Exactly. How the team played. You can't set up someone like Michael Bradley for failure and expect a win. You can't. You don't want. You don't set up a center back partner that's too. That's inexperienced with each other. You you don't do that in such a crucial qualifying game when you need to win. You need to win. Yeah, no. You can't. Absolutely. Overall standings, Mexico is to Ru- is going to Russia. They have qualified for the World Cup at 17 points. Costa Rica's in second with 14. The United States is holding on to third place with 8 points, tied with Honduras on 8 points. Panama's fifth with 7th and then Trinidad and Tobago on 3 points. Um I and according to the SPI, ESPN's, I guess, prediction, uh, the United States still has a chance to qualify. It's not not the end of the world. Um, if they were to pick up all six points over the, the course of the game in uh, at Red Bull Arena against Costa Rica and then traveling to Honduras with six points from those two games, 99%, four that's points. that's not possible. Not possible. Four points, not not possible. possible. So the best they can do is get the three points, and they have a ninety-one percent chance. So it's it's all hope is all hope is not lost. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's a bad result, though. A terrible result. And um, and what was really interesting out of this game, the crowd became such a talking point. Don't get me started. Twitter on social media. Don't get me started. What is going on? People were complaining that the Costa Rican fans showed up to watch their club. Don't uh, don't even get me don't even get me started on uh, how annoyed I was at some of the uh, arguments I was reading on Twitter. Um, 
apparently you are uh, xenophobic if you believe that the United States maybe should have looked at the uh, little metropolitan area and be like, maybe we shouldn't put the game in the highest population of Costa Ricans. <laughs> there was one one quote that I feel like was not retweeted or whatever, noticed enough. And it was a quote, I think it was from Brian Ruiz. It was to uh, a writer on uh, the 442 website, I'm, I'm, if I remember correctly. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, with all the support there, we were comfortable. We were comfortable. What other state World Cup qualifier can you walk in as a road team and say, you know what, I'm comfortable? None! Ask Italy how many Italians showed up, or ask the Spanish how many None! Italians did showed up at the Bernabeu to watch Italy get destroyed by Isco and company. No, I mean it's a small percentage, but my biggest issue is that they don't they do not design an away section. Yeah, why do why can't we comprehend in American sports that a any American sports would be so much cooler if they had an away section. Uh, i.e. college football, NFL, NBA, MLB. I don't care. That would just be freaking badass. Secondly, this is the men's national team. Now, the crowd, uh, I complaining. What I honestly don't care. That that let people complain. I think it may it did have an influence on the game, and I think U.S. soccer needs to reconsider their location and how they allocate tickets. My biggest complaint has to do with the national anthem. Why the hell do we get somebody to call us? And why are the f- why why can't we sing it as a nation? You go to Italy, they love singing their Italian national anthem. You go to England, everybody's singing it. Go to France. No, the United States is special. We're going to get one celebrity singer to to bell out the national anthem while everybody sits and watches. It I hate the fact. And the and the players the players look like 11 individual players with a hand across the heart. I don't like that. I think as a nation, if we really want to thrive as a soccer nation, put your hands up and start singing it as a stadium because that could that can get the momentum started. Then and there with the national anthem, does the momentum of the game start with the fans? I, I, I agree. No, I agree, Stephen. I agree with what you're talking about, the, the, the home field advantage. I feel like... People underestimate that. It's like, oh, no, the United States should have won. I mean, we are – me personally, I am not blaming this loss on the United, on the United States playing uh, in New York. That is not me at all. What I am saying, plain and simple, is that whenever the United States Soccer Federation looks and says, hey, uh, we're going to play, that you do not put it in the highest Costa Rican <laughs> contingency in the United uh, States. I mean, and, ugh. I mean, I just – I just and people are all like, oh, it's not the reason why USA lost. It's not the reason why USA lost. It's a valid point to make. Why wouldn't? Why? I just I, don't, I mean, people are like, oh, you know this, and I'm just sitting here. I'm like, how? First off, people calling it xenophobic. I I'm not saying ban them or have tough for betting on tickets. What am I, Donald Trump with the immigrants? Like, no, that's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, don't. Put it in the highest Costa Rican population. For example, the United States will never play a World Cup qualifier against Mexico in Texas, in San Antonio. Will they ever do that, Stephen? No. Ever. Exactly. It'll be a road so, game for the U.S. Exactly. So 
That's why, why they play in Columbus. That is why they play Mexico in Columbus, Ohio. Exactly. Someone said, it was, I think it was Grant Wall, implied that they went there because they were winning. That is 100% not true. They they actually... I, we need to wrap up the segment here, but um, with the with the crowd thing, I, I think it still points back to something I said on earlier in the show. The U.S. men's national team has not changed in 15 years. Yeah, yeah, Pul- Christian Pulisic... He is the only thing that has changed in U.S. soccer. Yeah, MLS has grown. Yeah, there's more stadiums. But when it comes to soccer culture, it's still about the same as it was 15 years ago. That is why you saw so many Costa Ricans at the game. That soccer mentality doesn't exist. All the, that, that's why they play at a stadium that's only you know capped at, what, 28,000, 25, 30, whatever it is. I mean, they could easily sell out um, you know, <laughs> MetLife Stadium. Fifty percent would be Costa Ricans. That's why they have to cap it so much smaller because they know the tickets distribution would even out. Exactly, exactly, Stephen. My my final point on uh, this issue is um I just it's 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 it's, in, it's interesting to see um just how much I mean people are saying it was like seventy thirty or even eighty eighty twenty. I'm gonna go. I think it was. 7525 based on Wells reading online. And that's not good enough for a World Cup qualifier. That's all I'm gonna say. It's not good enough. No, create a waste section. I mean US soccer has a simple solution. Create a waste section. Alright, listeners, don't hit pause. We'll be back. More US men's national team later on the show. But up next, talk about some MLS. Cause they played during a FIFA window. Woo! Fired up, U.S. Men's National Team. I believe everybody had a thought, an expression. They wanted to say something after Friday night. But oddly enough, there was more than one MLS MLS action! There were four games. Four, believe it or not, during this FIFA window, World Cup qualifier, all around the world. Um... Beginning with Chicago beating Montreal 1-0. The Revs took it on Orlando City in Foxborough, one for nothing. FCD hat trick. Yes. Sorry. FCD hosted the New York Red Bulls to a 2-2 draw and then the Galaxy. I think snapped like a 10-game winless streak. Yeah, something ridiculous. Some insane like that. Beat Colorado 3-0. But before we actually talk about the games, our very own Armand was at the uh, FCD Red Bulls game. We'll talk about them specifically. This FIFA window is becoming a real problem for the MLS because 89 players were called up to, amount. to the national teams. Granted, I think it was like 18 MLS, but regard, uh, to, I mean 18 to the U.S. men's national team, but that doesn't really matter. 89 players were missing. And these clubs have a real issue with this. Um, Jesse Marsh, uh, earlier in the year, was saying something uh, after the the Red Bulls offense failed to get started because Clushin wasn't there. Quote is saying, I don't like it. I don't understand it. These are things for you to ask the league. There are often things that I don't quite get. But in the end, it's okay. 
It gives us a rhythm right now of playing games. Yes, I'd much rather have both teams be able to be at their full complete uh, complement of players. And this is, this is nothing new. Um, now, I'm reading from an article by Clemente Lisi on USsoccerplayers.com. Quote, under FIFA rules, club teams have to release their players uh, called up for the national team duty. While MLS has done a much better job about scheduling fewer games on those days in recent years, it doesn't completely shut the doors. MLS has argued that the spring to fall schedule hinders the ability to complete to go completely dark. The league has made exceptions. It typically takes a two-week break during the FIFA World Cup group stage. Last year, the MLS did not play during the group stage of the Copa America Centenario. This summer, for the first time, uh, it will do the same during the Gold Cup. Now, this article is written in March. 89 right. players were re- uh, called up, Armand. Is this a real issue for the league? When the quality of the league is going up, it will become a bigger and bigger issue as as these uh, as these players, as more talented players join the league, it will become a much bigger issue because you're going to be losing these players. No, yeah, and... It's to me. It's you losing these talented players. Obviously, the best MLS players are going to get called up, unless you're Sebastian Giov- Giovinco, where the Italian coach is um, being Italian. Um, yeah, I don't know how else to describe it, but you you get the sense that who is paying attention to these games when when the, the national teams play, especially a day after the U.S. men's national team play. Who's going to show up to their MLS games? Who's going to go watch the Revs take on Orlando City? Who's going to show? Who's going to show? Nobody shows up for FC Dallas to begin with, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but you know, what I'm, you get the point. Who's going to show up to these games? I mean, I still think that devoted fans will show up to the games regardless. It's not like I feel like they'd be more inclined to join the games because it's not like they're missing anything. Like they're not. It's not like they're like going to watch the national team at the same time. They're 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 separate. So, I mean, if they want to get their soccer fix, like oh, we watch national team play. Let's go watch our local team play or something along those lines. My issue isn't necessarily the the, the what was it like the attendance. My issue is that teams are being set at disadvantage by uh, th- these these windows. And I mean, I guess I think the teams some of them have options to play, some of them have options not to play. It's 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 weird. I I don't know how to fix it. That's the thing. I wish I had a solution, but. As the league gets better, we're going to see more and more of this. Well, the league pop up. wants better players, so you're going to grab more players. You're going to get Gashi, who who plays for the Albanian national team. You're going to get Jamali, who plays for the Swiss national team. You're going to get the David Villa, who plays for the Spanish national team. They're going to leave their club. The club's at a disadvantage. I mean, right. last year FC Dallas was missing. They they ended up missing four players. From the starting eleven, this was last year when they were, you know, on their historic uh, uh, double, uh, going for the treble with the MLS Cup. Ultimately, that failed. But it, you get the sense that the, you you slow the momentum down. And the in the the article, Lisi talks about how the the spring to fall calendar makes a mistake, and how MLS can't get can't get rid of it. MLS has this FIFA window is a lot bigger of an issue because the FIFA window also is right in the middle of the playoffs. Oh, it screws them in the playoffs. It makes the playoffs like anticlimactic at times. I think the article quotes one of those ESPN 
uh, anonymous uh, MLS player uh, player survey. Sixty eight percent of the players said the the postseason lasted too long to to maintain momentum. It does. It really does. If you think about it. So you you, you roll you. It's like pushing a little snowball down the mountain. As MLS grows, that snowball of that FIFA window is going to get bigger and bigger. What a great and analogy! Bigger. And then it could either just destroy the league, or it's you know it's gonna somebody's gonna start noticing. Somebody at the top of you know level has to realize this is an issue because the fans realize the quality is worse. The clubs realize we're screwed. Mark in a draw. Mark in a loss because our best players aren't here. What can we do about it? Exactly. It's a really big issue. Anyway, um, comments besides for the FC Dallas Red Bull game. Any mention of the, you know? Did you want to touch on any of the uh, other three games? I don't. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll, I'll touch on I'll, t- I'll touch on them real quick. Uh, Chicago uh, Schweinsteiger scored in the, their win against Montreal. Um, yeah, Chicago's. You know, hopefully they could. This could be a good momentum swing. Slump get the buster. Three points. Yeah, slump buster. Um, uh, I think Lee Win either tied or set an MLS record for a uh, four assists in a game. Kai Kamara scored his uh, first hat trick for the Reds. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the Red Bull uh, Dallas game in a second. Galaxy snapped a bad winless streak. Giassi Zarda scored for the first time in about a year. I want to say so. Uh, overall, really interesting to see. Uh, some some of the games last night. Awesome. Well, you were at the, the FC Dallas has on the field issues and then off the field. Uh, which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, let's talk about the uh, on the field. I mean, it's the freshest in my mind. All right. So FC Dallas has been in a slump. Uh, they hosted the New York Red Bulls, who are uh, who is I don't know. Also, not not necessarily in a slump, but they could be better. Growing pains. Growing pains. Yeah, that's that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they uh, so Dallas hosted Red Bull. Um, overall, uh, well, let's talk about. There's some cer- cer- certain circumstances. Uh, Jacory Hayes, the rookie out of Wake Forest, got uh, two yellows and was sent off. I thought the second yellow was a little harsh. So I, uh, I don't think he should have been sent off, but he was playing a little too aggressive for someone already on a yellow card. Um, so I mean. It wasn't like it wasn't a yellow card. I feel like it wasn't a second yellow card. But overall, Dallas played well with 10 men coming back from being down 1-0 and then 2-1 and almost took the game at the end. And to be honest, on the field, I think this game is a start to, is going to is the game that ends their slump. I thought they played when I in my article that I wrote I keep plugging myself, but in the article I wrote about yeah. an article I wrote um, about their slump, I said there was no true game that you saw like something to take out of and say, okay, at least they played well and just things didn't go their way. This was one of those games where they played well and they outplayed a Red Bull team that's quality, one of the better teams in the East, and they were at a disadvantage and they still outplayed them. I thought they played well. Barrios was outstanding. Diaz uh, tied it up. Uh, I just I thought it was a, a gutsy, gritty performance that I think – the team needed uh, to get back on track and hopefully uh, secure a playoff spot. I mean, let's be realistic. Let's not talk about MLS Cup. Let's talk about a playoff spot. Um, Red Bull, for Red Bull, I thought it was a disappointing performance. You're, you're up a man 
you have the ability to take three points on the yeah, road, absolutely. and you com- and you completely bl- and you and you blow it uh, like that. Jesse Marsh, you gotta be asking some questions. I mean, that's a really disappointing performance. I think Red Bull. I mean, you come in expecting one point on the road, but easily the circumstances could have been three. Um, but yeah, those are my uh, thoughts on how, how I thought Dallas played. Uh, it's very interesting to see Dallas be in the slump after they were hyped to be this champion. But we talked about flipping that switch, and we'll see. But off the field, uh, you have some sort of transfer so- saga with uh, forward Maxiano Uruti and midfielder uh, Barrios. Yeah, and man. And come on, fill us in. What is going on? Because this is absolutely not talked about in the media, in the football landscape here in uh, America. Yeah, which I, I find relatively interesting. Maybe the players like it like that or something. So um, uh, Michael Barrios and Rudy were uh, subject to transfer bids uh, from San Lorenzo. It came up like in the last couple of weeks that they had some bids and people weren't taking it seriously, and then they actually bid. Um, so they bid, but Dallas in the end rejected. Uh, it, it was a weird media blitz by the Dallas team saying, yeah, we rejected the offers, the players. And here's the key, the players wanted to stay um, all that good stuff. It was a weird media blitz, to be honest. Really weird media blitz. They even released a video saying, yeah, we got a bid from San Lorenzo for $5 million for both players, and we said no. The players are excited, blah, blah, blah. So we go to Barrios. Barrios has an interview with uh, my friend John Arnold, um, and he uh, he never really states that he wants to stay uh, with the team. He just oh, I'm focused, I'm happy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Typical stuff when you hear, oh, you're subject to a bid. You're honored, obviously. But, you know, you're not going to do anything. And then we go to Arudi. We, ha- we hadn't heard anything from him. My, my, my editor on, a, on Third Degree, uh, Peter, was like, we want to hear from Arudi. In fact, that was my task on Saturday was to go talk to Arudi. Uh, but during the middle of the national team game Friday night, we get this article from Aldia. And in it, I'm, getting, I'm paraphrasing. I want to read the whole quote to you guys. Uh, Arudi states that he actually wanted to move to Argentina and that he didn't want to stay. But not in the sense of, oh, he hated the team. Uh, he's going to have a kid, and he wanted to go closer to his family. He is Argentinian. He wants to go closer to his Absolutely. family. Absolutely. You want to go back home. Yeah. Exactly. And he said the play for San Lorenzo, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be fun. That, you know, like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. And he said he did not appreciate Dan... Uh, Dan Hunt, the owner of Dallas, saying that he wanted to stay when he never said that thing. And you would you would think he'd be a little disgruntled, huh? Right, Steven? I mean, he was, yeah, was kind of upset. I, I, it, to me, FC Dallas is going through a lot of issues on and off the field. On the field, it, it could be manageable. Uh, but off the field, with the marketing that we've talked about on and off uh, the record button, uh, <laughs> on and off the mic... <laughs> Or, you know, off the camera. But you 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 get the sense that FC Dallas, their advantage with all this BS off the field is that they're such a small club and nobody really likes to talk about them nationally. So it kind of just flies by. They can do whatever they want and they can do no wrong to themselves. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I want to uh, at least uh, before I move my next point, I want to give credit to Arudi and Barrios, the very professionals. Uh, they stated they uh, Rudy. Here's the thing. I don't think some people don't understand. Rudy isn't mad that he didn't get transferred. Rudy is mad that 
Dan or Hunt. was upset that of what uh, what Dan Hunt said. Or really goes uh, in the interview, paraphrasing again, um, that he understands why they didn't transfer him. It's MLS Cup. He wants to win the cup. He wants to advance far as Dallas. He wants to finish the mission that they set out for in the beginning of the season. And Clavijo, Fernando Clavijo, the technical director, said if this was in December, he'd be gone. Sure, he would have been gone if he if he wanted to go and had a good enough bid. Um, so that's not the issue. The issue is what what Dan what Dan Hunt Dan Hunt said. And people, you know, are like, is there there was rumors coming out that there is genuine. Uh, not a good uh, locker room scenery in Dallas. Uh, that's what league. Uh, that's what the writers in the league have been talking about. Uh, do you think it's, it's a riffraff? Yeah. Do you think? Uh, do you think it's true, Stephen? Uh, but Zimmerman said that when we courted, when we talked to Zimmerman, did he not say that the you know the team was together? It was solid locker room. Uh, the foundation was built from last season, and it really looking to establish themselves i just i from what i saw last night i really didn't see a locker room that was disjointed kellen acosta was not there because he's been getting such more wreck because he got called up because he's establishing himself to be a star as an american star such a young age like Mm -hmm. could that did that influence the the team on the field as far as him not being there? And yeah, do you? I don't f- think I don't think Kellen's I don't think Kellen was an issue. I mean, the what what the what the what the league writers were saying was uh, that um, it was more of an issue of a Rudy being upset at because uh, because his backup is making more than him. Uh, it was a monetary issue. Um, I, I I didn't see anything to in the game to really notice like oh the locker room's destroyed. Maybe they're frustrated by their current string of results, but I don't think it was a uh, you yeah. know like a locker room beef if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting story to keep your eye out on, and Armand will definitely be writing and talking about this. So go follow him on Twitter to uh, definitely get the inside scoop on FC Dallas. But up next. Uh, is our mailbag and USA Honduras World Cup qualifier. Are you excited for the next qualifier, Stephen? I'm... uh intrigued USA Honduras because this is no cakewalk oh man let me just get you this quote uh, it's actually from 2012 uh, it's from the Toronto Suns by Kurt, La- Kurt Lawson listen and up let, let me just let me just get you a feel of where the United States will be playing after squeezing through an unlocked stadium gate here Sunday and being and before being ejected from a normally vacant stadium by a lone security guard's dog, a sense of intimidation fills anyone who ventured into the standing room-only cement stands. Without a club team to call it home, the Olympico's sole purpose is to house Honduran qualifiers and friendlies and to act as an intimidating fortress just outside the city's main square. Blah, 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 blah. And um, 
it talks about how it was barbed wire. I was like, did you not tell me it was surrounded by barbed wire or somehow has yeah, barbed wire yeah. in there? there there's some barbed wire. There's a small moat that isolates the pitch. And uh, a, a Canadian national team player by the name of Andre Hanault said, it's probably the most hostile atmosphere I've ever played in about the two, in the 2008 qualifier they played in. I can remember coming out for the game and then there's this cage tunnel. And people climbing all over it and shaking it. San Pedro Suela at 4.30 with humidity being really high. It's an intimidating place, man. Did you hear that? Did you read that? That is intimidating. Well, it, it, <laughs> it's super intimidating. Uh, the U.S.'s record against Honduras in World Cup qualifiers. Obviously, in Zenose earlier this year, they put on a... Brilliant display. Clint Dempsey with the hat trick. As well as Pulisic and Bradley getting the goal. So 6-0 in 2013 in Sandy, Utah. Altidore got the the lone strike, beating Honduras 1-0. But the last time they were in Honduras, they lost 2-1 against Clint Dempsey. I mean, against Clint Dempsey getting the one... uh, the long, uh, the long goal, and then you go back to 2009. They actually won and beat Honduras three to two. So it is this back and forth affair with uh, the United States and playing in Honduras. Let's, let's just be honest here. And, and it's the, not an easy place to play in. No, and the weather for Tuesday is going to be very humid and a chance of thunderstorms. So the humidity is going to be. Berserk, and there won't be a lot of U.S. fans there like there were, uh, like there was with Costa Ricans being in. Um, Dude, there'll be none. Red Bull Arena. There'll be like five if there's any. Let me look at team. Looks like they're running, looking at the formation that Concaf has provided on their website. Uh, looks like Honduras does run a four-three-three. Um, uh, there's actually two Houston, uh, Houston players. Uh, Rome, uh, Kyoto, Romel Kyoto, and Albert Elise, uh, two fantastic uh, wingers for the Houston Dynamo. You also have Etchie Dallas, uh, left back and center back, Minor Figueroa. Who's a captain. Who's a captain, exactly, playing center back for the team. Let me tell you something. Honduras and the United States are now level in points. Level in points. Oh, man. I, yeah, I get uh, – yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was already – you know, the Costa Rica game, I thought – they're playing at home. They'll get the three points, right? Yeah, we probably undersold Costa Rica, but in the back of my head, I can't. I can't. For some reason, I get this image, this picture, or this vision of the United States somehow losing to a fluke goal scored by the Hondurians, and it's complete crisis mode for the national team. Yes, and. Especially in an intimidating atmosphere, especially, especially with the way they play, especially because they're hungry. Everyone wants to beat the United States. Especially Everybody. now, everybody does. There, no one wants to. It's and I, let me just let me describe it one more time uh, in a different article by Soccer America. The stadium playing. I want to emphasize this, but the heat and humidity certainly were oppressive, despite some cloud cover. Sweat still dripped in rivers, as one Canadian observer described conditions in 86-degree heat. That is an intimidating place to play at, and that's the number one thing that I think that Honduran has the advantage. It's the venue. 
is yes. the venue. And the pitch and their isn't, team is damn good too. The pitch isn't perfect. It is what it is. Uh, if FC, uh, if the United States men's national team pull no result, they will have a 63% chance of qualifying. Even if they took a point, they're at 74%. Uh, three points, would pr- I, I would say, guarantees them uh, a, a spot in the World Cup if they were to win. But I can't promise you that. Do you, uh, do you think the USA needs to be on the attacking or defensive? See, that's the thing. How does Bruce Arena go about it? Is he going to make the same mistakes? And I don't think so. I think Bruce Arena, if he's a good coach and if he were smart, realized, I effed up. I'm going to go back to that three-back line. Because don't you get a feeling that United States almost has to treat this as a Mexico game? Sit, I... defend a little bit more. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. Uh, Honduras, who are tied with the United States, let us, they are tied, okay? They have every bit of chance, although the ESPN SBI only gives them a 27% chance of qualifying for the World Cup, they have every bit of a, an opportunity to steal points from the U.S. And my guess is the reason why they have 27% uh, is because they have to go to Costa Rica and then play Mexico. Mexico yes. Here's the thing. Costa Rica probably is going to clinch by the time they play, and Mexico's already clinched. Maybe they go try out some different players. Maybe that, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking the same way. It's not necessarily fair to judge that twenty-seven percent because of who they play. If Costa Rica and Mexico had not qualified for the World Cup, yeah, but since they are, since they are, why why does Mexico risk losing star, top stars rather than resting? Maybe get a couple young guys, mix the squad up. Hey, we have this player. I w- I'm interested to see how he's performing with the national team. Or let's let's mix it up. Let let's try this combination of players. Exactly, Bruce Arena. What if you're Bruce Arena, Armand? What is the biggest thing you changed from the last game? I would say the most important thing that they need to change is leaving Bradley naked, as we talked about. I think that's a really important thing. I think they need to have him have him be supported by somebody. If it is Costa, if it is somebody else, I don't care who it is. I, I think that's a, a key issue that they need to hit on. So are you you rolling a back three, going with that three, five, two, three, four, three kind of? My my guess is I don't think Arena will go with a three, five, two. I think he'll go with a four, five, one. Um, I think because uh, Altador is out, remember, with the yellow card accumulation. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So is, who's so, getting that start at the top then? So I think... Um, and I really do think Demarcus Beasley will start at left back or Villafania. Um, I don't know if you go with Tim Ream, Jeff Cameron, but I say you go with Jeff Cameron. If Omar Gonzalez is healthy, go with him. If not, go with Matt Beasley. You have Zussi. Um with that five. You get to put you can get you can put Acosta next to Bra- next to Bradley, almost like a four two three one of sorts. I would say actually is Pulisic um, in the it, middle. I have Pulisic in the middle, uh, re- especially. Um, I, 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 the thing is, these uh, these Honduran wingers that go up and down the pitch, but I feel like they leave gaps in in the in the on the defensive side. There's uh, spaces the for Pulisic to spacing. run into. Exactly, that's what I'm thinking. So I, I don't know if I'd put him on the wing. I'd probably start him in the middle, and if I have to, move him out to the wing. 
But what about the top? I mean, I have Bobby you, Wood starting by himself. Yeah, Bobby Wood by himself. It's an interesting co- combination of players. How Bruce Arena outdoor is out, but other than that, uh, is he going to change formation? Is he going to change his tactics in this game? Are is every player going to get their role and actually perform it and ex- succeed? Now. How, what is the motivation for the United States? Is it three points? Is it one point? What the mentality? Or does the United States come out swinging and say, what you saw Friday night was a fluke. It was. It, it does not represent this national team, not the level. We are much better than we were. Or you, what you, we you, go, you, go, you go for three points at this point. You, you go do? for three points. You gun it. You gun it. Well, there you go. USA-Honduras. I think uh, it's going to be a fascinating game. It's going to be on B-Win Sports. For some reason, they host all the away games for the United States, so a lot of people won't watch this game. Uh, it's going to be a lot of checking their iPhones for the updates. But it'll be fascinating because Honduras is tied with the United States on eight points. Let me remind you, they're tied. So both clubs will, or both teams will go for this uh, Absolutely. three points. But let's get to something we've never done on the show. And that is mailbag. our mailbag. Mailbag. So at the start of every month, we will send out this tweet asking you guys for questions. Any questions. It could not be just any questions. These so happen to be all soccer related and kind of what we were talking about today. Our first one, Armand. This is from Jake. Does the U.S. men national team need to find a national stadium? Um, all right, Jake. Uh, the United States, I don't think they need a national team stadium for World Cup qualifiers. I think the United States is too big to have that. And I think moving the friendlies or moving the games around is a good idea. I think the number one issue with the Costa Rican game is, like I said, you just do not put the match, a World Cup qualifier, in the heart of Costa Rica, of the Costa Rican contingency in the United States. May put it in like a like a Denver or a Utah or, or something along those lines. I just, I just, I don't, in my opinion, I just wouldn't put it in, in New York. Hey. I don't think they really need a national team stadium, though. Um, this is from uh, Dan. How many people were actually at Toyota Stadium yesterday? All right, Dan. I, I don't know, man. 12,000, 13,000, 14,000? I don't know. And then from Sean, Messi or Ronaldo? Whatever, pool sick. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, from Tony, what happened to Orlando City? Um, my thought is uh, that the team started really hot with their home field advantage. They really took that took advantage of it. But Dom Dwyer has been struggling. The, the defense has been looking relatively shaky. Kyle Lauren has has been scoring, but not the rapid pace he was scoring before. The team is slowly coming down to earth and. They are average. I mean, they start out hot because of those home games. I feel like they rode that home field advantage. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, they're showing their true nature as a mediocre team. Absolutely. And the final question, uh, what steps do you think MLS needs to take to expand to a level that is on par with big-name leagues such as the Premier League and La Liga? This is from my uh, friend Ardalon. Yes. Um all right, so after this question, I'm going to ask you what your opinion is on two of these questions. All right. Uh, but um, 
Well, uh, the first step I think you need, Ardalan, is you need to expand the salary cap. You need to make it much bigger than it actually is right now to attract top-level talent because if you're saying Premier League, La Liga, it's going to be really hard if you have a salary cap of $3 million. You, and with with that means a DP rule, maybe even extend the DP rule maybe potentially. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I'd extend the DP rule. If the salary cap's higher, you probably have more flexibility and whatnot to – uh, sign more top tier players and um i think they also need to get rid of the uh weird allocation rules that they have uh like if you sell a certain player over a certain amount you only get six hundred fifty thousand. i think it's a little ridiculous i think those need to go but i think the salary cap needs to be expanded if anything and overall get rid of the turf yes that's a good one that's a very good point on that issue um of the MLS needing to expand to the Premier La Liga. Uh, I agree on every point you said. Pay not your top stars. Yes, pay them what they deserve, but pay the bottom players a lot more money. That That's the biggest thing I would uh, advocate for is play the bottom scrubs a lot more money so you can build up and then p- people want to play for MLS even if you're not a regular superstar. Uh, what happened to Orlando City? They suck. Orlando City have become... Uh, kind of irrelevant. And Slowly, I, and it's it's sad because I really like Kaká and I really have wished Orlando City could host a playoff game because that atmosphere would be lit. Uh, to Jake about the national team stadium, it's a good idea because England they play uh, at Wembley. Um, France typically plays at the not Parc de Prince, but the the national stadium in in Paris. Uh, I think Spain actually plays in Madrid. Italy, I know, travel around. Switzerland travels around the country uh, the country to play at different venues. So I think it's a good idea for the U.S. because being stuck at one stadium, it, it besides for the city, none of the, the fans in America could watch their national team ever exactly. play. And it's just because the United States is so damn big, it, you can't create that. As to the question about the FC Dallas attendance, 12. That's my answer. I think 12 people were there. And uh, Messi or Ronaldo. How about Zerdan Shakiri? Uh, oh, my God. He played brilliantly in a swamp in St. Oh Gallen against uh, Andorra. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, our mailbag. Uh, five questions. So every, every month. We'll answer five questions from our fans. Could be Disney movie related. I don't care. Just from our from our avid li- listeners. It's fun. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, U.S. men's national team play Honduras Tuesday night. You said 4.30? Yep, Central. Central time. Prediction? <sighs> it's actually a little harder than it was last time, but... I have the utmost belief that the United States will uh, pull out a 2-1 victory. Um, I say Pulisic, Nabs won, and uh, I say uh, Dempsey, Nabs won as well. I mean, it's pretty basic, but... U.S. is going to lose 1-0. We're going to come back next Sunday, and we're going to be having a discussion about the national team all over again. <laughs> oh, great. Here we go. Get ready for it. Listeners, follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. You can subscribe on iTunes Google Play please do leave us a review send us your questions mailbag at the beginning of every month until next week see you later until next week friends
With Metro and the best deal in wireless, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees included every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. 5G access requires capable device. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.